chapter sixty five of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter sixty five temptation easy and frank spoken as pendennis commonly was with warrington how came it that arthur did not inform the friend and depository of all his secrets of the little circumstances which had taken place at the villa near tunbridge wells he talked about the discovery of his old tutor smirk freely enough and of his wife and of his anglo-norman church and of his departure from clotha to rome but when asked about blanche his answers were evasive or general he said she was a good-natured clever little thing that rightly guided she make no such bad wife after all but that he had for the moment no intention of marriage that his days of romance were over that he was contented with his present lot and so forth in the meantime there came occasionally to lamb court temple pretty little satin envelopes superscribed in the neatest handwriting and sealed with one of those admirable ciphers which if warrington had been curious enough to watch his friend's letters or indeed if the cipher had been decipherable would have shown george that mr arthur was in correspondence with the young lady whose initials were b a to these pretty little compositions mr pen replied in his best and gallantest manner with jokes with news of the town with points of wit nay with pretty little verses very likely in reply to the versicles of the muse of Maylarm. blanche we know rhymes with branch and stanch and launch and no doubt a gentleman of pen's ingenuity would not forego these advantages of position and would bring the pretty little changes upon these pleasing notes indeed we believe that those love verses of mr pen's which had such a pleasing success in the rose leaves that charming annual edited by lady violet lebas and illustrated by portraits of the female nobility by the famous artist pinckney were composed at this period of our hero's life and were first addressed to blanche per post before they figured in print cornets as it were to pinckney's pictorial garland verses are all very well the elder pendennis said who found pen scratching down one of these artless effusions at the club as he was waiting for his dinner and letter-writing if mamma allows it and between such old country friends of course there may be a correspondence and that sort of thing but mind pen and don't commit yourself my boy for who knows what the deuce may happen the best way is to make your letters safe i never wrote a letter in all my life that would commit me and emmy sir i've had some experience of women and the worthy gentleman growing more garrulous and confidential with his nephew as he grew older told many affecting instances of the evil results consequent upon this want of caution to many persons in society how from using two ardent expressions in some poetical notes to the widow naylor young spoony has subjected himself to a visit of remonstrance from the widow's brother colonel flint and thus had been forced into a marriage with a woman old enough to be his mother how when louisa salter had at length succeeded in securing young sir john bird hopwood of the blues produced some letters which miss s had written to him and caused a withdrawal on bird's part who afterwards was united to miss stickney of lyme regis etc 
the major if he had not reading had plenty of observation and could back his wise saws with a multitude of modern instances which he had acquired in a long and careful perusal of the great book of the world pen laughed at the examples and blushing a little at his uncle's remonstrances said that he would bear them in mind and be cautious he blushed perhaps because he had borne them in mind because he was cautious because in his letters to miss blanche he had from instinct or honesty perhaps refrained from any avowals which might compromise him don't you remember the lesson i had sir in lady mirabel's miss fotheringay's affair i am not to be caught again uncle arthur said with mock frankness and humility old pendennis congratulated himself and his nephew heartily on the latter's prudence and progress and was pleased at the position which arthur was taking as a man of the world no doubt if warrington had been consulted his opinion would have been different and he would have told pen that the boy's foolish letters were better than the man's adroit compliments and slippery gallantries that to win the woman he loves only a knave or a coward advances under cover with subterfuges and a retreat secured behind him but pen spoke not on this matter to mr warrington knowing pretty well that he was guilty and what his friend's verdict would be colonel altamont had not been for many weeks absent on his foreign tour sir francis clavering having retired meanwhile into the country pursuant of his agreement with major pendennis when the ills of fate began to fall rather suddenly and heavily upon the sole remaining partner of the little firm of shepherd's inn when strong at parting with altamont refused the loan proffered by the latter in the fullness of his purse and the generosity of his heart he made such a sacrifice to conscience and delicacy as caused him many an after twinge and pang and he felt it was not very many hours in his life he had experienced the feeling that in this juncture of his affairs he had been too delicate and too scrupulous why should a fellow in want refuse a kind offer kindly made why should a thirsty man decline a pitcher of water from a friendly hand because it was a little soiled strong's conscience smote him for refusing what the other had fairly come by and generously proffered and he thought ruefully now it was too late that altamont's cash would have been as well in his pocket as in that of the gambling house proprietor at baden or ems with whom his excellency would infallibly leave his derby winnings it was whispered among the tradesmen bill discounters and others who had commercial dealings with captain strong that he and the baronet had parted company and that the captain's paper was henceforth of no value the tradesmen who had put a wonderful confidence in him hitherto for who could resist strong's jolly face and frank and honest demeanour now began to pour in their bills with a cowardly mistrust and unanimity the knocks at the shepherd's inn chamber's door were constant and tailors bootmakers pastry-cooks who had furnished dinners in their own persons or by the boys their representatives held levies on strong's stairs to these were added one or two persons of a less clamorous but far more sly and dangerous sort the young clerks of lawyers namely who lurked about the inn or concerted with mr campion's young man in the chambers hard by having in their dismal pocket-books copies of writs to be served on edward strong requiring him to appear on an early day next term before our sovereign lady the queen and answer to etc etc 
from this invasion of creditors poor strong who had not a guinea in his pocket had of course no refuge but that of the englishman's castle into which he retired shutting the outer and inner door upon the enemy and not quitting his stronghold until after nightfall against this outer barrier the foe used to come and knock and curse in vain whilst the chevalier peeped at them from behind the little curtain which he had put over the orifice of his letter-box and had the dismal satisfaction of seeing the faces of furious clerk and fiery dun as they dashed up against the door and retreated from it but as they could not be always at his gate or sleep on his staircase the enemies of the chevalier sometimes left him free strong when so pressed by his commercial antagonists was not quite alone in his defence against them but had secured for himself an isle lie or two his friends were instructed to communicate with him by a system of private signals and they thus kept the garrison from starving by bringing in necessary supplies and kept up strong's heart and prevented him from surrendering by visiting him and cheering him in his retreat two of ned's most faithful allies were huckster and miss fanny bolton when hostile visitors were prowling about the inn fanny's little sisters were taught a particular cry or yodel which they innocently whooped in the court when fanny and exter came up to visit strong they archly sang this same note at his door when that barrier was straightway opened the honest garrison came out smiling the provisions and the pot of porter were brought in and in the society of his faithful friends the beleaguered one passed a comfortable night there are some men who could not live under this excitement but strong was a brave man as we have said who had seen service and never lost heart in peril but besides allies our general had secured for himself under difficulties that still more necessary aid a retreat it has been mentioned in a former part of this history how messrs costigan and bows lived in the house next door to captain strong and that the window of one of their rooms was not very far off the kitchen window which was situated in the upper story of strong's chambers a leaden water-pipe and gutter served for the two and strong looking out from his kitchen one day saw that he could spring with great ease up to the sill of his neighbour's window and clamber up the pipe which communicated from one to the other he had laughingly shown this refuge to his chum altamont and they had agreed that it would be as well not to mention the circumstance to captain costigan whose duns were numerous and who would be constantly flying down the pipe into their apartments if this way of escape were shown to him but now that the evil days were come strong made use of the passage and one afternoon burst in upon bows and costigan with his jolly face and explained that the enemy was in waiting on his staircase and that he had taken this means of giving them the slip so while mr marx's aides-de-camp were in waiting in the passage of number three strong walked down the steps of number four dined at the albion went to the play and returned home at midnight to the astonishment of mrs bolton and fanny who had not seen him quit his chambers and could not conceive how he could have passed the line of sentries strong bore this siege for some weeks with admirable spirit and resolution and as only such an old and brave soldier would for the pains and privations which he had to endure were enough to depress any man of ordinary courage and what vexed and riled him to use his own expression was the infernal indifference and cowardly ingratitude of clavering to whom he wrote letter after letter which the baronet never acknowledged by a single word or by the smallest remittance 
though a five-pound note a strong set at that time would have been a fortune to him but better days were in store for the chevalier and in the midst of his despondency and perplexities there came to him a most welcome aid yes if it hadn't been for this good fellow here said strong for a good fellow you are altamont my boy and hang me if i don't stand by you as long as i live i think pendennis it would have been all up with ned strong i was the fifth week of my being kept a prisoner for i couldn't be always risking my neck across that water-pipe and taking my walks abroad through poor old casa's window and my spirit was quite broken sir dammy quite beat and i was thinking of putting an end to myself and should have done it in another week when who should drop down from heaven but altamont heaven ain't exactly the place ned said altamont i came from baden baden said he and i'd had a deuced lucky month there that's all well sir he took up marks's bill and he paid the other fellows that were upon me like a man sir that he did said strong enthusiastically and i shall be very happy to stand a bottle of claret for this company and as many more as the company chooses said mr altamont with a blush hallo waiter bring us a magnum of the right sort do you hear and we'll drink our healths all round sir and may every good fellow like strong find another good fellow to stand by him at a pinch that's my sentiment mr pendennis though i don't like your name no and why asked arthur strong pressed the colonel's foot under the table here and ultimate rather excited filled up another bumper nodded to pen drank off his wine and said he was a gentleman and that was sufficient and they were all gentlemen the meeting between these all gentlemen took place at richmond whither pendennis had gone to dinner and where he found the chevalier and his friend at table in the coffee-room both of the latter were exceedingly hilarious talkative and excited by wine and strong who was an admirable story-teller told the story of his own siege and adventures and escapes with great liveliness and humour and described the talk of the sheriff's officers at his door the pretty little signals of fanny the grotesque exclamations of costigan when the chevalier burst in at his window and his final rescue by ultimate in a most graphic manner and so as greatly to interest his hearers as for me it's nothing ultimate said when a ship's paid off a chap spends his money you know and it's the fellers at the black and red at baden baden that did it i want a good bit of money there and intend to win a good bit more don't i strong i'm going to take him with me i've got a system i'll make his fortune i tell you i'll make your fortune if you like dammy everybody's fortune but what i'll do and no mistake boys i promise you i'll put in for that little fanny dammy sir what do you think she did she had two pound and i'm blessed if she didn't go and lend it to ned strong didn't she ned let's drink her health with all my heart said arthur and pledged this toast with the greatest cordiality mr altamont then began with the greatest volubility at great length to describe his system he said that it was infallible if played with coolness that he had it from a chap at baden who had lost by it it was true but because he had not enough capital if he could have stood one more turn of the wheel he would have had all his money back that he and several more chaps were going to make a bank and try it and that he would put every shilling he was worth into it and had come back to the country for the express purpose of fetching away his money and captain strong that strong should play for him that he could trust strong in his temper much better than he could his own and much better than blondel blondel or the italian that stood in as he emptied his bottle the colonel described at full length all his plans and prospects to pen who was interested in listening to his story and the confessions of his daring and lawless good-humour i met that queer fellow ultimate the other day pen said to his uncle a day or two afterwards 
ultimate what ultimate there's lord resport's son said the major no no the fellow who came tipsy into clavering's dining-room one day when we were there said the nephew laughing he said he did not like the name of pendennis though he did me the honour to think that i was a good fellow i don't know any man of the name of ultimate i give you my honour said the impenetrable major and as for your acquaintance i think the less you have to do with him the better arthur arthur laughed again he is going to quit the country and make his fortune by a gambling system he and my amiable college acquaintance blundell are partners and the colonel takes out strong with him as aide-de-camp what is it that binds the chevalier and clavering i wonder i should think mind you pen i should think but of course i have only the idea that there has been something in clavering's previous life which gives these fellows and some others a certain power over him and if there should be no such a secret which affair of ours my boy damn me i say it ought to be a lesson to a man to keep himself straight in life and not to give any man a chance over him why i think you have some means of persuasion over clavering uncle or why should he give me that seat in parliament clavering thinks he ain't fit for parliament the major answered no more he is what's to prevent him from putting you or anybody else into his place if he likes do you think that government or the opposition would make any bones about accepting the seat if he offered it to them why should you be more squeamish than the first men and the most honourable men and men of the highest birth and position in the country begad the major had an answer of this kind to most of penn's objections and penn accepted his uncle's replies not so much because he believed them but because he wished to believe them we do a thing which of us has not not because everybody does it but because we like it and our acquiescence alas proves not that everybody is right but that we and the rest of the world are poor creatures alike at his next visit to tunbridge mr penn did not forget to amuse miss blanche with the history which he had learned at richmond of the chevalier's imprisonment and of ultimate's gallant rescue and after he had told his tale in his usual satirical way he mentioned with praise and emotion little fanny's generous behaviour to the chevalier and ultimate's enthusiasm in her behalf miss blanche was somewhat jealous and a good deal piqued and curious about fanny among the many confidential little communications which arthur made to miss amory in the course of their delightful rural drives and their sweet evening walks it may be supposed that our hero would not forget a story so interesting to himself and so likely to be interesting to her as that of the passion and cure of the poor little ariadne of shepherd's inn his own part in that drama he described to do him justice with becoming modesty the moral which he wished to draw from the tale being one in accordance with his usual satirical mood viz that women get over their first loves quite as easily as men do for the fair blanche in their in times conversations did not cease to twit mr penn about his notorious failure and his own virgin attachment to the fotheringay and number one being withdrawn transfer themselves to number two without much difficulty and poor little fanny was offered up in sacrifice as an instance to prove this theory what griefs she had endured and surmounted what bitter pangs of hopeless attachment she had gone through what time it had taken to heal those wounds of the tender little bleeding heart mr penn did not know or perhaps did not choose to know for he was at once modest and doubtful about his capabilities as a conqueror of hearts and averse to believe that he had executed any dangerous ravages on that particular one though his own instance and argument told against himself in this case for if as he said miss fanny was by this time in love with her surgical adorer who had neither good looks nor good manners nor wit nor anything but ardour and fidelity to recommend him must she not in her first sickness of the love complaint have had a serious attack 
and suffered keenly for a man who had certainly a number of the showy qualities which mr huckster wanted you wicked odious creature miss blanche said i believe that you are enraged with fanny for being so impudent as to forget you and that you are actually jealous of mr huckster perhaps miss amory was right as the blush which came in spite of himself and tingled upon pendennis's cheek one of those blows with which a man's vanity is constantly slapping his face proved to pen that he was angry to think he had been superseded by such a rival by such a fellow as that without any conceivable good quality oh mr pendennis although this remark does not apply to such a smart fellow as you if nature had not made that provision for each sex in the credulity of the other which sees good qualities where none exist good looks in donkey's ears wit in their numbskulls and music in their bray there would not have been near so much marrying and giving in marriage as now obtains and as is necessary for the due propagation and continuance of the noble race to which we belong jealous or not pen said and blanche i don't say no i should have liked fanny to have come to a better end than that i don't like histories that end in that cynical way and when we arrive at the conclusion of the story of a pretty girl's passion to find such a figure as huckster's at the last page of the tale is a life a compromise my lady fair and the end of the battle of love an ignoble surrender is the search for the cupid which my poor little psyche pursued in the darkness the god of her soul's longing the god of the blooming cheek and rainbow pinions to result in huckster smelling of tobacco and gallipots i wish though i don't see it in life that people could be like jenny and jessamy or my lord and lady clementina in the story-books and fashionable novels and at once under the ceremony and as it were at the parson's benediction become perfectly handsome and good and happy ever after and don't you intend to be good and happy pray monsieur le misanthrope and are you very discontented with your lot and will your marriage be a compromise asked the author of melarme with a charming mouet and is your psyche an odious vulgar wretch you wicked satirical creature i can't abide you you take the hearts of young things play with them and fling them away with scorn you ask for love and trample on it you you make me cry that you do arthur and 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 don't and i won't be consoled in that way and i think fanny was quite right in leaving such a heartless creature again i don't say no said pen looking very gloomily at blanche and not offering by any means to repeat the attempt at consolation which had elicited that sweet monosyllable don't from the young lady i don't think i have much of what people call heart but i don't profess it i made my venture when i was eighteen and lighted my lamp and went in search of cupid and what was my discovery of love a vulgar dancing woman i failed as everybody does almost everybody only it is luckier to fail before marriage than after merci du choix monsieur said the sylphide making a curtsey look my little blanche said pen taking her hand and with his voice of sad good humour at least i stoop to no flatteries quite the contrary said miss blanche and till you know foolish lies as vulgar men do why should you and i with our experience ape romance and dissemble passion i do not believe miss blanche amory to be peerless among the beautiful nor the greatest poetess nor the most surpassing musician any more than i believe you to be the tallest woman in the whole world like the giantess whose picture we saw as we rode through the fair yesterday but if i don't set you up as a heroine neither do i offer you your very humble servant as a hero but i think you are well there i think you are very sufficiently good-looking merci miss blanche said with another curtsey i think you sing charmingly i am sure you are clever i hope and believe that you are good-natured and that you will be companionable 
and so provided i bring you a certain sum of money and a seat in parliament you condescend to fling to me your royal pocket-handkerchief said blanche que d'honneur we used to call your highness the prince of fair oaks what an honour to think that i am to be elevated to the throne and to bring the seat in parliament as backsheesh to the sultan i am glad i am clever and that i can play and sing to your liking my songs will amuse my lord's leisure and if thieves are about the house said pen grimly pursuing the simile forty besetting thieves in the shape of lurking cares and enemies in ambush and passion in arms my morgiana will dance round me with a tambourine and kill all my rogues and thieves with a smile won't she but pen looked as if he did not believe that she would ah blanche he continued after a pause don't be angry don't be hurt at my truth-telling don't you see that i always take you at your word you say you will be a slave and dance i say dance you say i take you with what you bring i say i take you with what you bring to the necessary deceits and hypocrisies of our life why add any that are useless and unnecessary if i offer myself to you because i think we have a fair chance of being happy together and because by your help i may get for both of us a good place and a not undistinguished name why ask me to feign raptures and counterfeit romance in which neither of us believe do you want me to come wooing in a prince pretty man's dress from the masquerade warehouse and to pay you compliments like sir charles grandison do you want me to make you verses as in the days when we were when we were children i will if you like and sell them to bacon and bungay afterwards shall i feed my pretty princess with bonbons mais j'adore les bonbons moi said the little sylphide with a queer piteous look i can buy a hatful at fortnum and masons for a guinea and it shall have its bonbons its pooty little sugar-plums that it shall pen said with a bitter smile nay my dear nay my dearest little blanche don't cry dry the pretty eyes i can't bear that and he proceeded to offer that consolation which the circumstance required in which the tears the genuine tears of vexation which now sprang from the angry eyes of the author of malarm demanded the scornful and sarcastic tone of pendennis quite frightened and overcame the girl i i don't want your consolation i i never was so spoken to before by any of my my by anybody she sobbed out with much simplicity anybody shouted out pen with a savage burst of laughter and blanche blushed one of the most genuine blushes which her cheek had ever exhibited and she cried out oh arthur vous êtes un homme terrible she felt bewildered frightened oppressed the worldly little flirt who had been playing at love for the last dozen years of her life and yet not displeased at meeting a master tell me arthur she said after a pause in this strange love-making why does sir francis clavering give up his seat in parliament oh fay why does he give it to me asked arthur now blushing in his turn you always mock me sir she said if it is good to be in parliament why does sir francis go out my uncle has talked him over he always said that you were not sufficiently provided for in the the family disputes when your mamma paid his debt so liberally it was stipulated i suppose that you that is that i that is upon my word i don't know why he goes out of parliament pen said with rather a forced laugh you see blanche that you and i are two good little children and that this marriage has been arranged for us by our mammas and uncles and that we must be obedient like a good little boy and girl so when pen went to london he sent blanche a box of bonbons each sugar-plum of which was wrapped up in ready-made french verses of the most tender kind and besides dispatched to her some poems of his own manufacture quite as artless and authentic and it was no wonder that he did not tell warrington what his conversations with miss amory had been of so delicate a sentiment were they and of a nature so necessarily private 
and if like many a worse and better man arthur pendennis the widow's son was meditating an apostasy and going to sell himself too we all know whom at least the renegade did not pretend to be a believer in the creed to which he was ready to swear and if every woman and man in this kingdom who has sold her or himself for money or position as mr pendennis was about to do would but purchase a copy of his memoirs what tons of volumes messieurs bradbury and evans would sell End of chapter sixty five